Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, the Star, by Arthur C. Clarke. First published in Infinity Science Fiction, November 1955. The very first issue of this uh, pretty good magazine. Um, didn't run forever. Um, but uh, this is a great way to start a magazine uh, with one of the classics of science fiction. Um, it's so famous, this story. It, 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 I think it, it only is probably rivaled by Nine Billion Names of God in terms of Arthur C. Clarke's stories. I mean, maybe The Sentinel uh, would also be a famous short story by him. But, you know, one of the most famous stories by one of the most famous science fiction writers. Why is this short story that's about 10 to 15 minutes to read so famous? Well, it's pretty darn good. And um, I was thinking about it yesterday. I was thinking... Oh, it's going to be nice doing that show tomorrow with Eric because this is a really comfortable story. And I was thinking, that's a weird word, way to put it, Jesse, in my own head. It is a comfortable story because, for me, I know it backwards and forwards. I know exactly what it's doing. I understand how good it is. And then this morning, I discovered something about it that I'm like, What? What? I'm glad I do my homework because if I hadn't, I would have missed this amazing thing I just discovered about it that uh, just makes me appreciate this story all the more. Okay, I'm dying to ask you what you just discovered this morning, but just to make sure that anyone who is listening has a sense of where that may fit in, may I give just the briefest praising? Please do so. Uh the story starts quite famously with this line. It is 3,000 light years to the Vatican. Once I believed that space could have no power over faith. And then what follows is clearly a meditation about whether or not space, meaning outer space, um, not where you store your socks, um, can have some implications for faith. It turns out that the narrator is a Jesuit, but like many Jesuits, quite a, a, an accomplished academic. He is the astrogator on this ship that is going to investigate a star, or I should say the, the remains of what had been a nova. And when they get there, they discover that a far out planet had managed to survive incineration. On the planet, they discover a vault with artifacts that, according to the narrator, clearly were left for them to find. He sees in those artifacts a gentle and accomplished civilization, but suddenly realizes that because they are 3,000 light years from the Vatican, and however, whatever speeds they travel at, um, it's 6,000 years for light, 6,000 year old light that was emitted there would have arrived to be the star of Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. And this, it ends with, with, there can be no reasonable doubt 
the ancient mystery is solved at last. Yet, oh God, there were so many stars you could have used. What was the need to give these people to the fire that the symbol of their passing might shine above Bethlehem? That's such a great uh, – I mean, the, 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 that's why this story is a classic, because he set up a mystery. Why is this priest so troubled? And the final word of the final sentence of this story is the answer. And suddenly, like just like in Nine Billion Names of God, there's like an explosion of comprehension and understanding of what it all means in the mind of the reader. Right when you finish this story, you go, "Oh!" And it's like, "Okay, now I can see why he's troubled." Right, <laughs> and now I can see, like, yes, it, it, it's a shame that this civilization is gone, but um, it's casting like, all this setup of the mystery of why he's, you know, wringing his hands over this and what the other people on the ship think and what or will think when he tells them and what the people of Earth will think and is he going to lie? And not mention this fact. Oh, it's going to come out, right? Like, it's so good. That ending is so good. That's what makes this story the classic it is. And yet... I sure hope you're wrong. (laughs) Really? Yeah, and the reason I do is that, as with a number of quite famous science fiction works, I think of Ender's Game, for instance, Mm -hmm. some people won't get, you know, the punchline until they get to the punchline. But other people will, in fact, get it long before they get to the punchline. We're, we're building – it's building up in our mind. But if, 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 you're, if you're like me when you read it the first time, um, it, was, it, was, it was there, but it had not yet crystallized, right? And yeah, well, it had it for me. So oh, what well, can I tell you? You're ahead of me. You're ahead of me then. I'm not saying I am, Jesse, but what I am saying is – like people who find that they get enormous pleasure rereading a Sherlock Holmes mystery, mm. I think it's important to make a distinction between people who get the punchline only when they get to the punchline and everyone else, which would include, I am sure, you on this rereading because you knew the punchline. Oh, yes, I knew. The, I, I, absolutely. I'm saying, you know, when the first time I read it, like the thing is, is it doesn't actually tell you, right? It doesn't say, uh, and this was the star that uh the three wise men like there's no mention of the three wise men right it's so you have to have a certain background uh which is pretty universal for most westerners even jews and muslims are going to be pretty much aware uh and a lot of atheists like all the people on the ship are going to be aware as long as they keep shutting the banks on christmas yeah yeah and the thing is um i what i discovered is that um, my comfortable reading and comprehension of this story is uh, kind of a mistake <laughs> because I was thinking, uh, you know, who? Uh, there's only a couple of characters in it. There's Chandler and our narrator. And uh, according to the illustration, the narrator's a male priest. And I think, oh, is there any possibility he's female and the artist? Like, I was, I, was, I was doing my work, right? Questioning everything. And then I noticed something in one of the uh, common adaptations that you'll find on, uh, not adaptations, audiobooks you'll find on YouTube, um, that there was a mistake. And one of the versions that's online 
is actually uh, on YouTube is read by Clark himself, and there's a couple of like line changes here or there that could be misspeaking or whatever. But this particular one stood out to me, and that drew my attention all the more to it. And I thought, oh, it's one of those little details that in a short story as short as this, if you don't pay special attention to the words set down, you're making a mistake. And that's what I'm always worried about. Why am I not paying attention to these tiny little details? So one of the tiny little details I'll, I'll point you to that I do not know much more about the significance is, um, is that when he talks about um, uh, Chandler, who is a doctor, um, he says, Dr. Chandler, for instance, could never get over it. Why are, and then in parentheses, why are medical men so notorious, such notorious atheists? And I was like, is that true? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's true. Um, and yet, uh, of course, they're supposed to uh, study medicine, which is hopefully science. And that makes sense. But on the other hand, our main character is a priest. And he is an expert in science as well, right? So uh, he's kind of cluing me into something that I now see. Our, what is that? Our what narrator is, that? is unreliable. <laughs> And it's not to say that he's he's unreliable in giving us false facts. I think everything he says is true. But what he hasn't noticed is that he has not paid close enough attention to his religion. And Clark is a genius. My friend Eric, if you didn't believe it before, Clark is a genius. Listen to this. Um, I'm going to read the first two paragraphs. It is 3,000 light years to the Vatican. Once I believed that space could have no power over faith, just as I believed that the heavens declared the glory of God's handiwork. Now I have seen that handiwork, and my faith is sorely troubled. He has just finished calculating the f discovery, right? Mm -hmm. And the discovery is how far away uh, the Earth is, w when the Earth would have seen the supernova that they're visiting exactly on the day or whatever and then he says i stare at the crucifix that hangs on the cabin wall above the mark six computer and for the first time in my life i wonder if it is no more than an empty symbol and what he has just failed to notice is the name of his computer <laughs> in one of the readings uh on on youtube the guy misreads it as the Mark IV computer. He doesn't know his his Latin uh, numbers, right? <laughs> he switched the VI into an IV, right? Which is mm -hmm. funny. And I, I noticed that, and I picked it up, and I said, Mark, Mark. <laughs> and I looked up Mark chapter 6, and I want you to read this, or I'll read it to you, I should say. It Actually, is, Jesse. Have you got it handy? Well, I already read it. Oh, no, you already knew this. Copied out some of the, the key phrases from it. But but I'm delighted that you came upon it. Oh, that's my great. God, that's great. I, 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 I figured I was the only person in the universe to know this. Uh, so this is from uh, some modern translation. Mark uh, chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came... He began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? 
what are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't he this just the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James? And it continues. Uh, 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 brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his, and in his own home. <laughs> and then yep. I realized, of course, that I've obviously something you've realized, and probably lots of other people have realized now too, that I think about it, <laughs> that um, this, this priest is suffering from the fact that any other species on any other planet in the universe, it wouldn't be 3,000 miles or 3,000 light years and 3,000 light years there and back, right? It would, it's only because Jesus is from Earth that this particular news is going to weaken his particular faith because that's his town. Uh, if in, a, in yes. the future... The Phoenix Nebula, and he, again, he's sort of dim here in that he says he doesn't know who named it, but it doesn't make any sense to have it named that. Um, he, it, it's, if you wait another 3,000 years, it's possible that his faith will be all the stronger because of this. And, and of course, this fits right in with the dialogue that science fiction is having about religion and... Uh, faith and how it all fits in. There are so many stories. There's a Ted Chiang story not very long ago that takes this exact premise and it turns out that the Earth is not the center of the universe in this particular story, yet they have ultimate faith in the existence of God because the, there's evidence all around them. But it turns out that theirs was that planet, right? That the aliens... <laughs> are the actual chosen people and the earth is the equivalent of the of the people in uh, who are destroyed in this story and i just i thought that's brilliant that he's put this this little secret into into the calculations it's right there the mark 6 computer i was at a uh, at a a critical science fiction con uh, conference that is uh, a conference for critics and writers rather than for fans. Mm -hmm. And speaking from the podium, I won't say his name, but speaking from the podium, a world famous grand master of science fiction, a multiple Hugo and Nebula award winner tried to make a point by just superciliously saying as Clark said in beginning his classic The Star I was 2,000 light years from the Vatican showing that this person had absolutely missed the point that you're trying to say is important and I agree with you fully I mention this to underscore your idea that it is possible to read this story and not get it until you get to the punchline at the end where the mm -hmm. word Bethlehem comes up. Uh, and I believe that uh, I, I don't think the narrator, I wouldn't view him so much as, as unreliable as reluctant that he's not telling us everything he knows. He's not telling us the most important thing he knows because he's trying 
to shape this in such a way that we will understand his shock. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what, what, uh, unreliable is not quite the right word. What I'm kind of pointing to is that is that Clark has put something into the story uh, that the narrator has failed to see. But if we are paying close attention to what Clark has put in, we can see that he can't, right? His faith yes. is broken by this. But it doesn't mean that when he returns to Earth, that everyone's faith will be broken. And that is kind of the point. You know, when Copernicus and Galileo are doing their business, right? <laughs> and the Pope is locking Galileo up because he's saying inconvenient things that are screwing up his, his you know, the, the doctrine. Um, that doesn't mean that religion is suddenly ended when, when the truth comes out. Because people adapt, and more importantly, the, uh, the Jesuits... Right, this there as he points out in the story, they are absolutely contributing to astrophysics. Um, Indeed, uh, and the Society of Jesus is, you know, is called the soldiers of the Pope, the soldiers of the of the Church. Uh, they're supposed to be out there and winning the war. I think it's important to point out there are, there are a lot of things that are that are cryptic here. Um, one of them is that there are only two characters, really. Mm-hmm. The other one, Chandler. You know, why is it that medical men are such notorious atheists? Well, there's an answer. Mm-hmm. Chandler is a word that has a meaning. Oh, yes, I noticed that. It's someone who makes candles. Mm-hmm. Consider the pitiful little light of a Chandler as opposed to a supernova, which is what God used to... Uh, have the star hang over Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. I think, though, that we need to address the theology um, as well as the sociology. I mean, you're quite right. There can be all sorts of problems with uh, the story in any given religion's uh, mythology. Uh, and and you can go ahead and decide to believe it anyway, right? It's an mm-hmm. act of faith. And there are lots of stories like that of Doubting Thomas to argue for us that it's better to be able to believe in something without asking that it be proved demonstrably, physically, logically. That, I think, is the crucial problem here. It's the problem that's, that is that, the, that our priest narrator is dealing with. It's the problem of theodicy, um, T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y. Mm-hmm. Um, the God, Theo, Deus, God's decay, justice. And put briefly, the classic difficulty is, if God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful, then anything that's bad, anything bad that happens is God's doing, because he could just as easily prevent it as allow it. He could make things be different. He knows everything. If he knows that a newborn infant is going to live a miserable, painful life and then expire at the age of five. Why does he let that happen? Where the is the of evil? Yep. Um, well, it's actually the problem of justice. You can justify evil in lots of ways. Um, but how do you justify justice in a world that we posit has an omnipotent, omniscient God? 
And there are different answers. There's a Christian answer to that and a Jewish answer to that and so on. There are different ways in which different religious and philosophical traditions have tried to come up with a notion that validates the fact that things that seem unjust to humans nonetheless happen. But here on page 127 in the, the manuscript, in, excuse me, in the PDF that you provided, Jesse, um, this, is, this is the problem that our narrator is worrying about. I know the answers that my colleagues will give when they get back to Earth, meaning the colleagues on the trip. Mm-hmm. They will say that the universe has no purpose and no plan. That since a hundred suns explode every year in our galaxy, at this very moment, some race is dying in the depths of space. Whether that race has done good or evil during its lifetime will make no difference in the end. There is no divine justice, for there is no God. And that is a solution to the problem of theodicy that this Jesuit cannot tolerate at the same time that he maintains his faith. The problem of theodicy is writ large. And I saw I gave the example of one little child. What science fiction tends to do stylistically is give us huge, huge examples of things that we in our normal lives find quite small. We dramatize. Oh, I feel a little sick. We have an, uh, a global plague. I feel like there's I have a premonition. We get a time machine. Right. Science fiction just gives us huge, huge uh, dramatizations. But if it works well for us, it, those are dramatizations of things that trouble us in our own lives. And what we have here is a huge dramatization of a clear example of why theodicy is a problem. Mm-hmm. And what this fellow is saying is, that is the narrator, my colleagues are going to say there's an easy answer to the problem of theodicy. There is no omnipotent, omniscient God. Stars burn out all the time. It's just a myth that that particular one had any particular consequence. There is no God. Saying that decenters humanity, mm-hmm. as in that story you just mentioned earlier. I don't think he's so much unreliable as really reluctant. He doesn't want to get around to acknowledging but what he, he has. Yeah, and this is the last page of the story that I just quoted from. Yeah, he he, but he hasn't noticed the thing that uh, you noticed before I did, and that I noticed this morning, which is Clark is accommodating our our, our answer, right? He's saying um, that those who are from Jesus's hometown, aka Earth, will have trouble believing in him, but that doesn't mean that Jesus. Uh, that you know, the, the 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 religion itself is broken, right? That that the the truth of the like, what's so funny is Clark is a, a well known atheist who's very interested in spiritual, um, and and thinking about the uh, I guess religious thought, um, but he ha- he hasn't written a story that needs rebuttal. <laughs> So the fact that there was a story in uh, two issues later in Imagination by Betsy Curtis um, that is called Rebuttal, it doesn't need a rebuttal. The, I, I he's do, accommodated. I, I, do, I do want you to tell us about that, Jesse. But I, if, if why are you saying if I want to understand what you're saying about this when you say it doesn't need a rebuttal, mm-hmm. the are story. You saying, 
Are you saying this story nonetheless supports the idea that there's a God? Yes, exactly. And, and that G- and that the the birth of Jesus um, and the explosion, uh, or it, at least the the fact that the computer is named Mark Six, right? Which is uh, I know there a prophet is without honor in his own land. Right. I, I, I understand, and and that uh, he he's not going to be believed as 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 uh, in his own land being the earth. It's like sure, uh, maybe the people of Earth will find this another nail in religion's coffin. However. In the future, which this story is set in the future, and we're going to expect more future, um, humanity is going to spread out. And on other planets, that religion will flourish. Is entirely possible to be read that way. And I guess what I'm saying is, to me, the story, like the other that you mentioned by Clark, Nine Billion Names of God, the story isn't about whether or not religion will flourish. Right. It's about the nature of God. Right. And, and, and perspective on, is, on it. What yes. this is saying is the problem of theodicy cannot be solved. The only way to solve that problem that is made obvious in this story is there is no God. But there is another way of solving that story, that problem. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can deny one of the premises, either that God is omnipotent or that God is omniscient. Since Knowledge is at the heart of both this story and nine billion names of God. I don't think that we are to think that God is not omniscient. And I don't think we are to think that God is not omnipotent, given what this God does. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's the third leg of the tripod that we have to acknowledge. God doesn't care about us. We're not his hometown. Right. God is not just. Right, and or which, or which is a reasonable message from a well-known atheist. Yeah, uh, or that we, we can. Uh, I, I don't know why I'm arguing so hard for this because uh, obviously I, I'm not a believer. However, um, I think he's put in enough in there to show that um, you know just because your 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 God works in mysterious ways, Eric. <laughs> um, now, before we end. I, I must yeah, tell us about Betsy Curtis's story. I, you know what? It's not even worth reading. <laughs> Honestly, I, I read it years ago, and I, I found it to be not particularly sp- good rebuttal. However, I want to point to something terrific that's in um, the the two characters, the unnamed uh, Jesuit and Chandler, um, because Chandler is the the de- he he was the goad to our priest before they arrived. And now, uh, when he leaves his room with the calculation in hand, he's going to go tell that guy and that he thinks is going to be the end. But I want to point out again how great um, Clark is in telling us stuff in dialogue or in the description. So this is on page 125, bottom of the first column. I'm going to just read this and end on the second column. Its builders had made sure that we should... That, that we should. The monolith marker that stood above the entrance has now a fused stump, was now a fused stump, but even the first long-range photographs told us that here was the work of intelligence. A little later, we detected the continent-wide pattern of radioactivity that had been buried in the rock. So there's a hidden message in the 
rock, right? The writing on the wall sort of thing. But more importantly, even if the pylon above the vault had been destroyed, this would have remained. So there's this two systems, right? One is a candle, a.k.a. the pylon. Um, I'm going to get to that description here in a second. And then there's the hidden message in radioactivity. And then we'd get the description of the pylon. Um, A pylon is a tapered object, right? The pylon must have been a mile high when it was built, but now it looked like a candle that had melted down into a puddle of wax. So they had built a giant pylon on this Pluto-like planet, um, and because of the bursting of the sun, right, the supernova, it had been melted down so that basically the light has gone out. But you can relight a candle. Um, and it, it was a stump, but it was still there. Chandler <laughs> means, as you pointed out, candle maker, right? Um, there, is, there is a lot of great just word choices and thinking going on in the background of this very short story. He has planned it out. The, the, as you pointed out, the, the difference between the light of a sun and the light of a nova versus that of a candle, right? To us, the stars are uh, distant and hard to see. We can't see them during the day. But uh, one of the stars mentioned here uh, that exploded in, I don't know, 1043 or something, uh, was visible in daylight, right? Some, and what was, the, what was the point of that? Um, there was an earlier uh, description of the star as a, a prodigal, <laughs> um, a prodigal um, waster of, of its light and now was a miser, right? It still had enough power, this, this nebula, to draw them to it. And they learned of these wonderful people who existed what a terrific story. He's put so much into it. One of the reasons that he could put so much into it is that there are continuing themes in Clark's life that come up in story after story and book after book. It's not an accident that Nine Billion Names of God and the star are perhaps his two most famous. It's not an accident that the pylon is crucial here and in the Sentinel, and in 2001, and in the City and the Stars. Uh, I could go on. I won't, given the time, but I will say this. Once upon a time, when I actually was doing the work to produce what was the first biocritical book on Arthur C. Clarke, I noticed a number of things about sexuality as presented. Now, Clarke married someone, a woman, And then in the 50s, and then um, after years of estrangement, they divorced. Um, Those were the days when you would not acknowledge being homosexual. I looked at the use of pylons throughout all of his books Mm -hmm. and his use of heterosexual versus um, fraternal relationships. And I opined in my book that he was gay. I sent him a copy of the book in Sri Lanka, Mm -hmm. and I got back an aerogram, you know, those blue folded letters people used to use. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't. Interesting. It's it's a letter. It's a letter. 
on blue paper in which Arthur C. Clarke wrote thanking me for the book, thanking me for the insights, and then saying, and as for your speculations, you were right about everything. (laughs) And he underscored everything. (laughs) But as was still the case, he couldn't say it because there are so much richness in his life and life experience as a scientist, as a philosopher, as a thinker, that we see it in stories like the star. But when we start to try to tease them out, we understand there's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.